Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, September 5th, 2018 edition of our little weather get-together. We're happy to have you joining us tonight as we talk about hurricanes. It certainly have been, has been an um, active few days in the tropics, and uh, all indications are the, uh, the activity is going to continue and maybe intensify over the next week or so. So uh, that is the uh, topic tonight. We're going to be talking with Caitlin Wright, who is a meteorologist at WWEAR in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, Caitlin uh, just had experiences and brushes with uh, Tropical Storm Gordon yesterday. So we're going to talk about uh, the effects that uh, Gordon had along the Gulf Coast. And we also have with us uh, Dr. Jennifer DeHart from Colorado State University. Uh, Jennifer is an expert in how um, geography features uh, affect hurricanes and how they play an important role in, in a hurricane strengthening or weakening. So uh, we're going to kind of talk about that as well tonight. And uh, before we do that, this is a live broadcast. So if you uh, want to interact with us throughout the show tonight, uh, we ask you to do that on one of many features of platforms that we have, Facebook Live, Twitter, our YouTube page. You can all uh, send comments uh, if you're watching on those platforms, or you can tweet us at Carolina WX Group. We'll be monitoring all of those tonight, and uh, we'll take any questions or comments that you have for our guests and uh, kind of plug them into the show as, see, as we see fit. And towards the end of the show, if you're listening on our podcast, we'll allow our guests to uh, promote their social media platforms and stuff like that. So if you have any questions uh, later on down the road, you can uh, have a way to uh, get in touch with Caitlin or Jennifer. So with that, we are going to skip uh, kind of the um, weather roundtable discussion of what's going on in the area. Uh, we want to get uh, we want to maximize our time with our guests tonight. So I'm going to toss it to Shay Gibson, who is uh, quickly going to give us a, uh, a recap of what's going on in the tropics, and then. Shay will give it to Ricky because we have Ricky back tonight and he will kind of moderate our discussion. And as always, uh, all the other panelists will chime in if we need to, and we'll be monitoring for your questions. So with that, I'll give it to Shay and Shay, I'll let you start. Thank you very much, Scotty. We have uh, quite an active pattern going on right now. We had Tropical Storm Gordon make landfall last night along the Alabama coast, and it is now depression. Uh, the last advisory was 30 miles per hour pressure at 1,012 millibars. Really, it's more of a rainmaker at this point. Uh, if we look at the radar real quick on GRE Earth, there's a lot of moisture still training in along the Florida coast and parts of Alabama, Mississippi. Even New Orleans feeling some of the banding. Very slow moving just north of Jackson, Mississippi right now. Uh, it is expected to head off to the northwest in time. The track, I think the last advisory had the track, but not this one. Uh, what's most important with this is the rainfall potential coming up in the future. And it looks like we're, we're still looking at half a foot or more for some of these areas moving up into Arkansas, the plains and Midwest. As it wraps around high pressure that is out in the Atlantic right now, uh, a lot of these folks are going to be feeling it. It's also joining along a cold front, so we'll see increased rainfall. Uh, meanwhile, let's go back to the tropics here. We have this wave off of Africa. We have another one coming behind that that we're watching as well. And we are right at the peak of the hurricane season. So September the 10th is normally known as the peak of the hurricane season. And uh, so we're seeing a lot of this activity. This is completely normal. And this is the time of year when we start to see an uptick. This disturbance invests 93L, it, I'm sorry, 92L. Next one would be 93L. It's a 70% chance, 48 hours, 90% next five days. It is expected to head to the west, general direction towards the windward leeward islands in time. So uh, this one may merit watching for these islands. And this one's going to slide a little bit west. Meanwhile, to the northwest of that, is major hurricane Florence now a category four hurricane with winds of 130 miles per hour. It's over warm water. There's some upper shear aloft, but it doesn't seem to be doing a lot of 
damage to the storm. If you look at visible right now, very impressive outflow. You can see the outflow a little bit blocked on the southwestern quadrant. There's a little bit of dry air, a little bit of upper shear. And we can see that upper shear with this out, upper cirrus clouds really fanning off to the north and to the northeast very quickly. It's going to remain over this area of upper shear, but it could remain in category uh, three or four through the next couple of days or so. In fact, the NHC, if we go back to the map, keeps this <clears throat> as a major hurricane, at least through Friday, where we could see a tad bit of weakening from that upper shear. And once it moves past some of that area, becomes major again. Look out for Bermuda here. The, I think if anybody needs to be watching this storm the most right now, the biggest concern might be for the folks in Bermuda as this storm could be major by the time Monday rolls around. Uh, the general track, the NHC, has been pretty successful in its track to this date. And uh, the, in fact, they did really good with Gordon as well. So hats off to them, but we also need to watch this track right here. Folks along the East Coast, Southeast, no need to be concerned right now. I think we just need to be watching the storm, tune in regularly to find out what the latest is. Uh, if you don't have a hurricane plan, you should have one. Also have your survival kits uh, and evacuation plans in place because it is the peak of the hurricane season, regardless of whether or not the system comes near the coast or not. Let's go back to the, actually one thing I want to do is the sea surface temperature. So category four right now, sea surface temperatures are pretty warm out there. We're looking at the eighties, mainly low to mid eighties. And as, as it moves to the west and northwest, it's going to move over generally warmer water. In fact, sea surface temperatures where Florence is right now are about 27 to 28 degrees Celsius. That's going to move towards the 29 and 30 degree waters out here. This, this is not going to be exact in some of these areas. I think uh, the, warm, the warmer waters are mainly right between 84 and 88 degrees. The depth of the warm water has yet to be known, but the buoys do pick up on it. Uh, so that's where we start talking about uh, the tropical cyclone heat potential. Florence is moving into a, an area of more conducive surface fueling. This map basically uh, is showing the sea surface temperatures warmer and not only warmer, but deeper. And so the heat potential generally starts at about 20 uh, kilojoules per centimeter squared is the magic number and it's moving well in above that number. So the surface fueling for the storm, it, that's why they're keeping it a major hurricane. Looking at weather nerd site, I got this from Mike Boylan's page, Mike's weather page. Uh, the Euro Ensemble. Now, we can't start getting confused too far out in time. And everyone's looking at these deterministic runs one at a time and each each run. Well, they're kind of all over the map, too, as to whether or not we're going to see this come close to the United States. The Euro tends to jog a little further west with the, with the majority of the models, but that can change. This is way far out in time. We don't need to be uh, we need to we need to be very skeptical about these right now and not take anything for granted or say that, you know, any one of these points. Look at the spread anywhere from South Florida all the way up to Nova Scotia. So in, anywhere in there is, is, is fair game as far as the system, but it may just curve out to see either way. Uh, the GFS ensemble over here, the majority of the models keeping this curved out off of the coast. So, you know, these runs are, are just, you know, they're, they're basically uh, one to the other. Here's the deterministic run. The main factor here, as we run into time, the GFS, Bermuda being dangerously close to the system on both the Euro and the GFS. Those are the main concerns right now. Uh, and then we have this ridge building off the East Coast, Northeast Coast, United States. This may be the deciding factor whether or not the system may be a problem for the coast, but it's still too early to determine. Even the Euro has that same ridge at the same time by Tuesday next week as being over the top. This tends to be a blocking mechanism and it sends the systems a little bit further to the West. How strong that ridge builds has yet to be determined. So there's no, no need to be alarmed yet for anybody on the coastline. We're just watching. We're watching each run of all of these models, not just these deterministic, but all the members of the run, which are hundreds of them. So 
Um, if anyone's concerned about it right now, don't be. Just be watching and tuning in. Back to you. Actually, not back to you, Scotty, but over to Ricky. All righty. Thank you very much, Shay. Nice detailed analysis there. Um, it's kind of another tropical system right on the heels of what we just got done dealing with with Gordon. And it seemed like uh, Florence kind of got hidden for a couple of days by Gordon making such a close approach and then landfall in the United States. Uh, Caitlin, nice to have you on tonight. Tonight, Nice to uh, see you again. Hope everything's well down in Pensacola and hope you guys survived the, uh, the storm well. I know you guys had uh, at least one death that I heard of, but uh, for the most part, it seemed like a, a pretty quick moving storm that came through during the overnight hours and then quickly moved out. Yeah, it moved out rather quickly, but one thing, uh, first, let's go ahead and get to that death. We do have one reported uh, fatality, and it was actually a young child. A tree fell on a mobile home, and that child uh, uh, died. So that's just so sad. We don't have any information right now as to how old that child was, but it was a child nonetheless. Doesn't matter. It's still death. So um, a lot of people, you know, say, oh, it was just a tropical storm or we're not worried. We're not going to have a plan. We're not going to have preparations. But uh, this is just one instance. And it really goes to show you that it's a tropical storm you have to take seriously. So it did move out fast for most of the area. The winds really calmed down rather quickly once the system, uh, once the low just moved through Mississippi, our winds calmed down fairly quickly. But I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can, but um, we're still seeing rain bands. We are still right now, and that's again, 24 hours later, more than 20, or just about 24 hours later, um, maybe 30. But we've seen quite a bit of rain, almost 11 inches in some areas. And, and, you know, that amount of rain, does that cause serious flooding issues in the Pensacola area? Or does it all kind of soak in that nice tropical Florida soil? No, not so much uh, the latter half. So we have some roads like Fort Pickens Road that's six inches above sea level. And so it is very uh, low lying here for most of the area. And it's a pretty old area. So we have older trees and we have had a lot of rain the last couple of weeks. And so the grounds are already very saturated. And so we have a lot of down trees right now. So that water didn't just soak up into the soil. It's kind of on top. We have uh, some just ponding on the roadways, but most certainly those low lying areas and those poor drainage areas, we've seen uh, quite a bit of flooding. Talk about um, just your Pensacola for people who don't know. Caitlin is at WEAR in Pensacola. Um, talk about how the, the area just kind of deals with tropical storms and hurricanes. I know Ivan was the big one back in '04. Is that still the baseline? What kind of bases everything off of? Yeah, I think so. I think for people that were here during Ivan, uh, have a new look on tropical systems and they know the damage that it can do. So uh, we, you know, last year kind of had two glancing blows with Irma going to our east and then Harvey going to our west. So uh, I think people in Pensacola do well with preparation. And WEAR, the ABC station I work for here, is the only station in northwest Florida. And then our other stations is kind of a hybrid market. So we have stations um, in Mobile, and that's where the National Weather Service is out of as well. So um, in terms of preparations and for the new station, it's just all hands on deck. And for uh, the community, we have uh, our, you know, our DOT workers, our emergency management, uh, they all do very well with preparing for storms like this. Since we are along the coast and since we did see a storm like Ivan, 
they have learned a lot and uh, been through kind of trial and error with a couple of storms. But they even put sandbags out for this tropical storm through two counties. Um, not a lot of people used them. Didn't see a lot of places boarded up when the wind really wasn't our primary threat. It was the flooding. Caitlin, I got a question for you. How was the uh, how did the storm surge verify in your neck of the woods? Was there I don't think there was a, as much of a threat to Pensacola as there was to maybe Wake, like Mississippi coast. Uh, but how was the surge? Did it cause significant flooding in your neck of the woods? I would say areas uh, toward the coast it did. I think uh, our surge ended up being uh, just uh, about two feet. Uh, so we were forecasting around two to four feet and three to five in Mobile County. So that's the last uh, most western county there. There's only Mobile and Baldwin County in Alabama toward the coast. It's small. Um, and then in Mississippi as well. So um, Dolphin Island, Fort Pickens, areas that are just very low lying and that see flooding if they, you know, have a strong thunderstorm roll through. Those are areas that most certainly saw um, quite a bit of rain and surge from that. Yeah, some of those areas got lucky. I, I saw Mobile Bay, there was uh, 50 to 60 mile an hour winds, but they were offshore north, northwest. So that actually maybe helped keep the, you know, some of the water down a little bit, you know, blowing it out instead of in. Uh, so <laughs> that, that I think that helped in a lot of areas about offshore wind. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And just the timing, too. It was not peak high tide. Uh, so that definitely helped as well. Fort Morgan is the area that saw, as of now, the reported highest wind gust, which was 78 miles per hour. And then uh, Dolphin Island, that area I'm talking, it's just a small little sliver of land uh, just off the coast of Mobile County in Alabama, uh, saw 74 mile per hour winds and in Pensacola, 61 miles per hour. So the winds were um, kind of in and out, really, as we're talking, the surge affected some coastal areas. Um, We've put a lot of money into Fort Pickens Road here in Pensacola, and we actually just were discussing this last week on our, our news that we don't know if we're going to keep on funding uh, that road. I mean, every time a storm comes and a, more than a half a foot surge comes, it just wipes out the road. And that's a big camping base here in northwest Florida. So a lot of campers and stuff visitors are pretty upset about that. Yeah, we had some spots here along our coastline like that as well. They just we just let it go. Had to let it go. Yeah, just not meant to be. So, Caitlin, it's obviously the hardest summer. Hard, well, I guess it it was Labor Day, so many people are going back to school. But still, Florida's a pretty active time uh, throughout the entire warm summer months. Uh, talk about uh, people from out of town. Do you guys have a bunch of out of town people this time of the year? And how did any of them fare? You know, like you said, Labor Day is kind of the cutoff. So Labor Day weekend, it, it was packed here in Pensacola. And our viewing area includes Fort Walton Beach and Destin, which are very populated areas. The, the, I like that you raised the point about vacationers because we just were very, we stressed a lot the rip current risk because we have more people die in rip currents than we do any anything else in northwest florida uh we've had several deaths this summer from rip currents so we're trying to get that out we actually had a tornado warning that i was on air for at 2 53 o'clock uh this morning in destin which is a very populated area and a lot of people have vacation homes there so uh, we're just trying to warn vacationers for the storm uh the good news is um 
if there is good news in this situation, that it was after Labor Day and it wasn't in, during the you know over the weekend when all those vacationers were here. I saw interesting. I don't remember where it was. One of your social media posts last night talking about it looked like the center was here, but the center was actually a little bit further to the west. Interacting, interesting structure on this storm. Very interesting. I was looking at a sounding. I could not figure out why the National Hurricane Center during that last update did not shift the cone. Because I'm like, this is either hitting Pensacola direct on, because it looked like it was just moving to the north, or hitting southwest Alabama. But I was looking at the sounding, and the low-level winds were just much faster than the upper-level winds. And so it was actually equating to westerly wind shear. And that's why it was, it was very, a very tilted system. It looked like it was moving directly to the north, but it, it had a northwesterly component. I, I'm still pretty shocked in National Hurricane's last cone. They had the area that it made landfall, just the very eastern side, almost that eastern line of the cone, since it ended up making landfall kind of in between Pascagoula and Mississippi and Bayou Labatry in Mobile County, right along the coast, or right along the state line. Yeah, I remember the NAM 3 was kind of seeing that a little bit as well, a little bit more of an easterly jog to it. Interesting stuff. Yeah, very interesting. And, and you mentioned how a lot of the areas along those places are pretty low-lying. What is the biggest threat from a tropical system? Is it surge for you guys, or is it rain? Or, or for a tropical storm like this, what would the biggest impact be? I think it depends on our previous weather. Of course, in this instance and in this situation, it was rain because our grounds were already very saturated. Um, it, storm surge is always a threat, of course, uh, depending on the angle of approach uh, that the storm's coming. So we always look out for those two things. But I would have to go, um, you know, and I don't know. It's kind of all a toss up. I think they're all kind of equal, especially rip currents. We have a lot of vacationers here that just don't know how to swim out of a rip current. You know, if you're from the north, maybe Ohio, and this is your first time here, maybe you don't know. I know before I really started studying it, I wouldn't notice when parallel to the shore to get out of the rip current and just stay calm. And so I think uh, rip currents are probably the number one thing. Uh, you know, surge and rain, yes. But some people, it, we have red flags flying. Uh, single red flags mean surfers can go in uh, to the Gulf of Mexico. Double red flags uh, mean that it's closed to everybody. So some uh, people just think that they can do it, even if they're experienced swimmers and can't. So that's a pretty big threat and concern. Did you hear that, Shay? No swimming along the Pensacola coast next time there's a tropical storm. Yeah, I'll tell, my kite, I'll tell my kite friend buddies in Fort Walton for sure. They won't listen. I know they won't. <laughs> All righty, y'all. Any other uh, further questions? I think we're going to jump to our next topic here. I'll take that as a no. All right. Well, Caitlin, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. You're welcome to stick around or if you need to jump off. I know you got to do the morning show and I'm sure you're still a little bit tired. I got to go back and watch your tornado coverage. I'm going to go pull it from the uh, Sinclair archives here in a little bit. So you can do just that. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us. And uh, we're going to switch over topics here just a little bit, kind of still involving Pensacola and the, the coastlines. Uh, Dr. Jen is... Jen, I forgot your last name. I'm sorry. Uh, Jen, joining us here. Dr. Jen, let's call you that. I like that. Um, 
talking about kind of how coastlines and geography and everything can impact storms and impact the, the strength of storms. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So we might as well just hit it right on the nose for the start. Uh, anything interesting with Gordon that kind of popped off to you? Uh, yeah, so my research focus was um, specifically more about um, mountainous terrain. So it's a little bit flatter in that area, but nothing has stood out so far. But I mean, beyond just how slow, it, slow it's been moving and just the um, how stalled it's been for the most part and just really drenching the area. So, yeah. Gotcha. So, I mean, with mountains and influences of tropical cyclones, we get that a ton here in North Carolina, especially on the eastern side. As Scotty will tell you, it seems like Scotty floods away every single time a tropical storm comes up into uh, into our area. Talk about just some of the uh, the basic aspects of how mountains can impact tropical cyclones. Right. So um, it's still an active area of research, definitely, but there's many different ways that that can occur. Um First and foremost, I mean, the when we think about orographic modification of any type of precip, we always think enhanced rain, um, simply because you get more lift, you get more condensation, and that cloud droplets can be picked up by the rain and fall. So um, at the basic level, that's kind of what we think of when we um, think of any cloud interacting with um, a mountain. But for hurricanes as well, um, places like Taiwan, in particular, other mountainous um, islands will often see really intense rainfall, particularly up in the high mountains, which can lead to landslides. So it's definitely a kind of public health issue um, to be dealt with. But um, the other thing, and this was kind of what I dealt with in my PhD, was if you have a large um, continental sized mountain range. So, for instance, my dissertation was focusing on um, uh, Mexico, specifically the state of Veracruz. There was Hurricane Carl in 2010 made landfall there. Um, it's so big, that mountain range, that when the storm or a hurricane moves over the terrain, um, hurricanes are rather fragile um, beings. They get easily ripped apart by shear. Um, so it actually can really weaken the, the strength of the circulation pretty rapidly. So um, you have this competing influence of, well, you might have enhanced rainfall, but you can also lead to much more rapid weakening of a storm simply because you're disrupting the circulation, you're in, you know, introducing dry air, et cetera. So there's kind of all of these different ways. And um, when we think of a hurricane, we often think of moist neutral for the people that know what that means. Um, but so essentially really moist, uh, low static stability, so easy to lift parcel up. But obviously within a hurricane, you have very different thermodynamic regions where you're going to have different stability in the eye versus the eye wall versus the outer bands, where you might have more convective potential. Um, and so we wouldn't necessarily expect a parcel in each of those regions to respond the same. So another thing I found in some research was, oh, there could be more convective than we initially thought or um, different processes can occur in different regions. So there's, it's a really complex topic and I'm certainly, it's still, certainly a continued um, area of research, but there's a lot of interesting stuff being done. And that's just like broad scale, not even getting into the small scale microphysics. So quite a bit. And it also depends too, like distance from the coast. So in um, the East Coast, obviously the mountains are a bit further inland uh, than like in Taiwan or even in uh, Eastern Mexico. So you could already have some weakening occurring simply due to the fact that it takes more time to move inland. So um, it really is highly variable based on your geogra geographic region and the underlying topography that exists. How about all the islands? It seems like every single tropical season, we talk about a, a system moving over Hispaniola or moving over Puerto Rico and the impact those mountains may have on it. And it seems to vary storm per storm how much they're impacted. Have you have you looked at any of that or have any thoughts on just kind of how some of those islands can impact systems? 
Yeah, so um, I haven't directly looked at it, but just looking at prior research that's been done, um, it really depends um, partially on the storm track and where the center of the storm is. So you, um, similar to what you have over continental mountain range, if your inner core, so your eye or your eye wall goes over the um, mountainous terrain, you can still have that similar disruption um, and um, decay that occurs simply from moving over the mountainous terrain. However, if the mountain is, or, or the island is further removed from the center, um, you are not gonna have the disruption. It's not really gonna affect the core and you can just continue like pumping in this moisture and this rainfall um, to really uh, affect it. So it really depends um, case by case on the, the track of the storm, the distance relative to the terrain, as well as um, the size of the mountainous island, like how tall it is, how wide it is. Um, there's, it, it really varies based on each storm. So quite a bit um, that goes on. Um, I forget, I think Maria got slightly disrupted when it went over Puerto Rico. Um, but if I recall, it didn't entirely decay. It kind of moved past and then continued. Um, hey, Jen, we saw this with Irma, with, with the interaction um, with, with Cuba. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, in the case of Cuba, from what I recall, um, that was, it, it kind of kept the intensity down, if I recall correctly. Like the models were kind of having it continue to be a bit stronger and the terrain, obviously to the detriment of the people in Cuba, um, because it hugged the terrain, it actually kept the intensity down a little bit and similar to what I was saying before. And so when it kind of finally emerged, it, was, it wasn't as strong as they were initially anticipating. Um, I think they also, I mean, anytime you have a, anytime you have a hurricane, it's gonna be um, a really big rainmaker. Um, you add mountains that can really um, enhance that as well. Um, so yeah, I, I remember that was the intensity aspect was really fascinating. And I think it was a bit further inland than the models had initially um, uh, thought. So, yeah. Okay, well, I'll, I'll go ahead with one. Uh, we talked a little bit before the show about uh, hurricanes like Hurricane Hugo in 1989, where you get a direct beeline of a storm right into a coastal plain that heads slowly upslope towards the Midlands and up to the upstates. And we saw the damaging effects it had from Columbia all the way inland to Greenville and up into North Carolina, Charlotte, uh, on over to the mountainous zone. So uh, if, you, if you'd like to talk a little bit about that, I'm all ears. We'd I'm sure a lot of us in the Carolina Weather Group would love to hear your, your takes on that. Um, yeah, so I don't remember the exact details of Hugo, but I'm, especially if it's a more gentle slope, you're obviously, anytime you move over land, the storm will weaken somewhat, but, or begin to weaken, but it could um, actually, you don't actually need a, a huge uh, slope to feel the effects of topography in terms of the rainfall, which is um, my main focus. So even a slight incline, I mean, they've seen enhanced rainfall on the top of 500 meter mountains um, or slopes. So um, moving inland, that could certainly be a contributor. Um, and yeah, it's, it's for each case, it's such a complicated interplay of the specific track and what that, um, and the geometry of the flow and where the storm is going. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm not, I must admit, I'm not terribly familiar with that um, with that particular case because I focused on this one particular storm, but yeah, um, it, it would be, an, it's, there's that balance between the destruction of the hurricane as well as this upslope enhancement of the rainfall and the relative contributions. Cause once you destroy the storm, you might uh, see less rainfall, which is what I actually saw in my dissertation. So. Uh, It'd be interesting for me to go back and look at that case um, and see exactly what the rainfall pattern looked like, as well as um, how 
rapidly or not rapidly, it was weakening as that was occurring. Um, I definitely need to go back and look into that. So. No, no, I appreciate that. I mean, I know you, you know, you do in-depth studies on several in certain systems and everything. Um, it, it's sort of like, um, I, I don't know why I've always felt that after being here and experiencing hurricanes uh, in, in the South Carolina area along the coastal South Carolina, it tends to see, you tend to see like, especially storms coming up from the South across the Florida Panhandle up just least side of the Appalachian mountains where you get the down sloping effects. And it seems like your onshore winds are not as much of a punch inland as the downslope winds wrapping around the storm. And that tends to, you tend to see more damage. We saw that with Matthew. We saw that with, um, oh, what was the storm that came up through Florida? Again, I, I, I'm drawing a blank on that one a couple of years back, but throughout the day, not many power outages. Everything was fine. Lots of rainfall though. So that is to be counted for with, with soil content. But as the storm wraparound flow came, the winds were actually a little bit stronger and, there was more power outages and more damages done from those downslope winds. Yeah, um, man, it gets super, so complicated. Yeah, because um, as you were saying too, the just kind of, the, if you have this downslope flow, what effect, or it might inhibit the ability for your kind of onshore flow to come in. The, the mountain part is, uh, yeah, super complicated, but yeah, it could be similar to, um, Again, I don't know the exact details, but it could be similar to what we see in Colorado with those. Um, obviously, we have much more intense uh, mountains here, but you get those really sharp um, downslope flow, and that's due to the upstream stability, the wind speed, and what happens as it um, approaches that crest. So that that is interesting that, yeah, you saw the more intense wind um, from the downslope flow, but it's probably, I would imagine, pretty similar to what we see here in the, along the front range when we get those really strong uh, downslope wind events. Um, but yeah, it can, um yeah it's just interesting how that all uh connects so that was hermine hermine is what i was hermine. thinking okay yep. yeah prime example Maybe all these great cases that i because i'm so focused yeah. on the really tall mountains that i often neglect the east coast yeah storm entrance matters where it comes from which direction it's coming from all that stuff so yeah. um who uh ricky did you have a question anybody else have a question i got one no go ahead uh, sorry, I was just going to uh, ask if you saw anything, uh, you know, with uh, Hawaii the last couple of weeks with uh, uh, Norman and stuff. Yeah, so Hawaii just got hit by um, Lane. Yeah, and... Lane and Norman, sorry. <laughs> no, no. Um, so I actually wasn't able to follow it in the in real time because I was at a wedding for two meteorologists. But I've uh, downloaded actually just this week, I've been downloading some of the rain gauge data as well as some of the radar data. And that's something I hope to look at soon. Um, but yeah, that's another one of those instances where it probably be more similar to, um, Taiwan, uh, of a storm moving near Taiwan. Cause the core never actually hit the island. So you're actually, and that was partially what led to that intense rainfall was you were able to keep the core away from the islands, just pump that moisture, pump that rain, um, and then I think similar to Harvey and somewhat, there was kind of like a bands that just kind of set up and sat there pumping in, um, especially on the east side of um, the big island, as well as, um, is it Maui? Because um, I think the those two islands got the um, most rainfall. Um, but yeah, it was again, the storm center was far away from it, just pumping all this moisture in. So it's, you can by having the train far away, you can have these really remote impacts from the storm. But yeah, it's uh, that's definitely in a case I'm looking at actively right now. Um, I wanna look more at the radar data and see some of the dual pole characteristics of what was occurring microphysically. But yeah, it was 
uh, pretty similar, um, similar to another case too that occurred in Dominica. There was a paper about that, um, again, where the storm remained far away and ended up dumping like several inches uh, or tons of inches um, of rainfall. So yeah, Lena, I saw that case as it was happening and was immediately um, intrigued by it, um, scientifically at least. So if that answered your question, <laughs> I'm not sure if it did. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, between that and, you know, the 2015 event we had here, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina with, uh, you know, Hurricane Joaquin, as is out in the Bahamas, you know, dumped uh, upwards uh, 14 to 20 inches of rain in parts of South Carolina and North Carolina. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've done any research with that, but just curious what, you, what your thoughts were. Yeah, I think, I wasn't Joaquin partially a pre, what they call a pre-event? Uh, it's like, le it's ahead of a, it's ahead of a hurricane. Again, you have this strong moisture transport. It was, it was, a, it was a trifecta situation there. Right. It really was. Yeah. yeah, that was that was a three part. <laughs> you had a cold front, you had an upper low, and then you had Joaquin and there, the fire hose aimed right over us. That was that was intense. <laughs> well, yeah. Rob Fowler, I want to talk about that one with us again. Yeah, and that's a good example of you don't actually need mountains to get really intense rainfall from a hurricane. I mean, hurricanes mm -hmm. themselves are really efficient rain makers, and especially if they stall. And if you have, again, these other factors um, that give you extra lift um, can really uh, be efficient with that tropical moisture. So. Yeah, I haven't looked at that case specifically, but I do remember um, Joaquin, especially with the, the track uncertainty uh, a couple of days out leading. It was kind of a mess in terms of the oh, forecast. It was incredible. The rainfall rates were, were just insane. Oh, were the uh, uh, You know, between midnight and, and probably 5 to 6 a.m., uh, there were probably a lot of places that got uh, close to 10 inches of rain in, wow. in just six hours. Yeah, it's <clears> really intense. Is there an area that tends to see uh, more heavy rainfall events in tropical cyclones? Is it, you know, the areas of the Western Pacific where they get typhoons or areas of Mexico where we get these Atlantic cyclones moving through? Uh, and is there a reason for that? Yeah, so I would say simply based on the number of um, cyclones, uh, Westpac, Taiwan um, is definitely one of the uh, hot spots. Um, they're constantly, I think they just had a typhoon two weeks ago that set a record breaking a record from a couple of years ago um so uh they because i think they average about four typhoons a year um just going over the island itself so they definitely uh see the most in terms of this orographic influence which is why a lot of the research has been done on islands and not necessarily like continental ranges um there's also the island la reunion so even further in the indian ocean um they, La Reunion actually has, I think, most of the rainfall records globally. Um, I actually have, where do I, I can actually pull up those numbers. I have my, my defense here. <laughs> yeah, so it ha holds, La Reunion Island holds the 12-hour, 24-hour, 72-hour, and 96-hour rainfall records. And those come from two tropical cyclones, respectively, one in 96 and one in 2007. And like, so 12 hours is 1,200 millimeters. Um, I could try and <laughs> convert that in my head. 24 hours is 1800 millimeters, 72 hours is 30, like almost 4,000 millimeters. So like meters of rain falling in these short time periods. And that absolutely puts everything we've seen in the US to shame, even a lot of the uh, Taiwan. Um, and that's, these rainfall records are from the top of a crater. So it's right on the top of the mountain. And again, the island's pretty small. So oftentimes it's these hurricanes that are bypassing it from far away. So those are definitely the places that, um, get the the most, I would say, in terms of that orographic enhancement. 
that'll be part of your thesis defense in the future for another one you'll have to sit there and try to convert to all the milliliters over to all the time so yeah um a lot of these systems coming into mexico one of the big things you always hear about is a threat for landslides and mudslides um is just kind of the the slope of the mountain chain there one of the factors that comes into it yeah um on both sides, it's pretty, um, it's pretty, I don't know if I have a good image I could show. I could try sharing my screen. Does that work? Yeah, that works. Yeah, so this is from my PhD defense. Um, so this is at least Eastern Mexico showing um, when hurricane, this is Hurricane Carl's track from 2010. Um, and this is showing the eastern side of the topography. Um, so yeah, it's on the west side, I think it's a bit more um, intense of a slope, but even on this east side, you have this pretty strong, these greens are less than 500 meters. And um, this orange here is between two and three kilometers. That's pretty intense uh, um, gradient, at least locally. And on the west side, it's even um, uh, stronger. So yeah, definitely the geography is gonna play into the uh, landslide threat. Um, and I know in the case of Hurricane Carl, they had had, uh, similar to what Caitlin was talking about earlier, they had had a really wet summer before Carl made landfall. So it just, the rainfall itself was was nowhere near record breaking, especially compared to what we see in Taiwan or um, in the La Reunion Island that I mentioned. Uh, but it was on top of this already saturated soil that everything, that was the bulk of the damage, not necessarily winds, but yeah, the landslides and rainfall threat. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. When we look at uh, the amounts of rain from tropical cyclones and trying to estimate it, I saw there you got some airborne research. Uh, obviously, probably a lot of these areas, these islands and mountain chains, probably have very sparse radar data available. So what are the primary methods besides rain gauges, kind of going back and looking at the analysis? Yeah, so that was really challenging in Mexico, um, just because they had had a data, loss of data. Um, they don't have as many stations. So it's really dependent regionally. Um, so Mexico didn't have as many stations as we would like. And another issue is that for like our type of work, we often want pretty high resolution, so every hour, and that might not always be what's given in like the NCDC website uh, or database. Um, Taiwan actually has really great data coverage. They have a ton of rain gauges, they have a ton. They have distrometers, I think, that are operational to look at dis uh, drop distributions, so the size of the drops. Um, and they actually have really, quite good radar coverage in Taiwan. It's probably the best instrumented site um, uh, in the world, at least over that small area. Um, so, but oftentimes it actually is uh, radar that's used just because you can cover so much larger an area. Cause even rain gauges are gonna struggle because they are point sources. It's, it might not necessarily, depending on how big a convective cell is, might not be representative of what's happening two miles away. Um, so radar is often used at least from a kind of first glance and basic overview of uh, what's happened in an event. So um, in places where you don't have that, then yeah, you're kind of, you got what you have, what you have. So um, it can make it a challenge in certain areas, but at least the US has pretty decent uh, coverage, both of in terms of rain gauges, but then also uh, the dual pole network, um, especially in the hurricane prone areas is great coverage. So I, that those dual pole drive products are likely what um, are often what's used. Um, to look at that from a kind of larger scale. 
but there's always research programs that are trying to be funded to have higher quality radar data than the what you get with the 88Ds and um, uh, you know add additional instrumentation soundings, uh, station data, et cetera. So, yeah. Are Taiwan's radars dual pole? Do you happen to remember? It's a mix. So some of them are, and some of them are not. Um, okay. I think, I think at least two are dual pole, like one on each side of the island. So, but again, you can't um, change your scanning strategy based on it's like we have the operational scanning strategy as you would have here in the U.S. So, can't really do much. So yeah, that's why I need field campaigns to be able to do more specific um, radar scan strategies. Well, as we approach nine o'clock, I've got one more question for me and then I'll open up the floor for everyone else. Is there, if you could kind of write the book on the perfect storm that would create, you know, the, the heaviest setup for geography induced hurricanes, um, what would that be? Would it be a, a small storm, a big storm? Would it be a, a steep slope, a, a kind of a gentle slope? What is the, uh, the perfect storm when it comes to heavy rain, tropical cyclones? I would probably say... I'm not sure that size, well, I guess the size would only come into impact in terms of how broad you wanted that rainfall to be, but in terms of like kind of a local, locally heavy rainfall, um, you would probably want something like an island because then you could maintain the core of the storm. You could maintain the strength, keep those winds going. I say this as if it's a good thing. Um, in like removing it from the terrain um, and you'd probably, for the heaviest rain, you'd, you'd want a decent slope, but you wouldn't necessarily want um, like a cliff um, because what you need for the heavy rainfall is for the parcels to move up over the terrain. And um, that's dependent both on the wind speed, the height of the mountain, as well as the stability. So you'd probably want a more moderate um, slope because oftentimes it, the heaviest rainfall doesn't always occur at the peak height. It can occur on the windward slopes often. So um, probably a weak to moderate slope. Um, so yeah, keeping the hurricane far from an island of some size and then um, having a moderately slope. So maybe one to two kilometers um, height would be, would be good conditions for the heavy rainfall. Obviously that wouldn't be good for the people living there, but yeah. I lied. One more question. And this may make sense. It may not. I'm, I'm just thinking in my head, different types of, of upslope and everything. So would the strength of the upslope matter in terms of like the winds and how fast it's being upslope affected? Yep. So yeah. So the ability for a parcel to travel over terrain is tied to both yeah, the terrain height as well as the speed of the wind. The, the stronger the wind, the more easily a parcel a, a given favorable stability. So given that it can rise up, yeah, the wind speed, um, they're both important. You need the stronger the wind speed and the lower the train, the easier it is for um, the part, um, air to flow up and over a mountain. So if it's really high, you might get blocking where it goes around the, the terrain. So. so so in theory, perhaps a tropical depression with weaker winds would have lesser amounts than a stronger storm? Um. So it would, in that case, it would depend then, uh, so I'm thinking of the Froude number, which is U over NH. Um, so if the wind speed was weaker, if you were still in a moist neutral or a neutral stability, so there wasn't any kind of inhibition, you could still, it, the wind speed would be less of a factor. Um, 
and it doesn't necessarily have to be a surface parcel either. You could have like parcels higher aloft that are being lifted. Because um, oftentimes there's been cases of tropical storms interacting near terrain um, that can also produce really heavy rainfall because in a hurricane you don't have, you're not that stable. Um, you're pretty moist and close to neutral. So um, it, I wouldn't necessarily say that's the case. Uh, you could still get, you would probably often get really heavy rainfall, even with a tropical storm, simply because the stability would still be in your favor. Gotcha. All righty. Well, we appreciate you joining us tonight. Any other questions from the panel here? If not, we'll give you an opportunity to plug your social media. Uh, we're going to have to have you back on once you, uh, once you decide to dive into Hurricane Hugo and some of our other rainfall events yeah. in Carolinas. That's going to be your next task. We're going to put you, uh, we can't offer much research money, but we can at least uh, offer, you know, like a bag of cookies or something mailed to you. For, no, it's uh, cool. I'm glad you guys brought those up. I'll have to look into those more closely going forward. Is there a way people can follow you or follow your work? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I have a Twitter account. Um, it's JC DeHart, D-E-H-A-R-T. Um, sometimes there's storms and other times there's random, <laughs> just random <laughs> thoughts. Um, so that's usually where I things get posted. I eventually will make a website, but I don't have one yet for like my research stuff. But yeah, that's usually where most weather, where I engage in weather Twitter. <laughs> gotcha. And has your, has your thesis been posted yet or is it still? Oh, yes. Um, yeah, my dissertation is online somewhere. I think it might be on my <laughs> old advisor's website um, at UW, but I don't actually know where to find the thesis. <laughs> I tried you to not work, and now you just want to forget about it for a while. <laughs> yeah, but um, the first paper for my thesis is published. It was in um, chat or monthly weather review, and then the second paper I need to publish soon because it's been a year, um, and that will probably go in a similar journal. But yeah, my thesis is on. Online, I forget what it's called. It's um, orographic modification, uh, tropical cyclone. You can search my name; it'll probably come up. So very cool. The wonderful world of Google will help us out eventually. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. So I'll pass it back over to Scotty. Scotty, you can kind of do some of the old schematics here as we wrap up the show. And uh, once again, thanks uh, for joining us. Thank you. Thank Thank you for that, uh, Jen. We appreciate that. And thank you, Ricky. Um, we are wanting to kind of do a, a quick recap of the tropics for those who uh, may have not been able to tune in at the beginning of the show. I know a lot of you are watching on Facebook Live and Periscope. Uh, I think this is probably going to be one of the highest numbers that we've that we've reached. So uh, good, I guess, on that front, but not good for uh, for the tropics. So uh, Shay, uh, I'll give it to you. I will say, uh, I just we just got this question in our Facebook inbox and maybe you can uh, answer it and lead into your discussion. Uh, Ulysses Ruse is a wanting to know, are we going to be hit here in the Carolinas by Florence? So I'll let you answer that and kind of go into uh, what's going on in the tropics show. Okay, well, I appreciate the question. Thank you, Scotty. And uh, the answer to that question right now is, we just don't know. It's too far in the future to be concerned about it right now. There's a lot of factors, a lot of steering mechanism uh, as it gets towards Bermuda in time. And I'm gonna go ahead and do some screen share. And we'll talk a little bit about this. <clears throat> Let me know when you can see it, guys. Everyone good? Yep, I got exactly. it, Shay. Okay. So Hurricane Florence, uh, our first major hurricane of the 2018 season, winds up to 130 miles per hour, uh, category four, 953 millibars. It, did, it underwent rapid intensification since yesterday, so the storm really blew up, which tells us that there's a lot of warmth at the surface. There's a lot of fueling mechanism for the system. 
even though it is underneath an area of upper shear, it's still holding as a very strong hurricane. We look at the water vapor imagery, I'm sorry, the shortwave infrared imagery, as we go from daytime to nighttime, we see a very healthy system with a solid eye. We see the outflow as well, the radial outflow occurring, which means it has healthy outflow aloft. So the exhaust system for the exhaust system over the top is very healthy. The one thing that we are seeing is upper shear, which the NHC initially believed might be an inhibitor of convection and an inhibitor of strengthening for the system, but it being a little bit more compact and smaller in size allowed it to grow more. We're still seeing on the southwestern western quadrant of the system, or even the south southern quadrant, a little bit of dry air, a little bit of shear blocking that outflow to that direction. But if you look to the north and the northeast, you see this explosion of convection, really all the cirrus tops really flaring off to the north really quick, and that's because of that upper shear line. Looking at the sea surface temperatures, very warm out there. We're in the 80s, somewhere between 83 and 88 degrees overall. It's going to be heading towards warmer waters. It's actually over uh, favorable waters, 82.4 degrees is sort of the magic number, 84.2, I'm sorry, not 82.4. Uh, and as it heads to the west-northwest, it's going to be moving over an even warmer body of water, which is why the NHC keeps this as a major hurricane going through Friday. Maybe a little bit of a weakening phase due to upper shear and maybe a little bit of ingestion of dry air. But then as it goes to the west, it is expected to re-intensify again because of the warmer waters below and possibly it getting out from underneath the upper shear loft. So this is the, the basic track. Beyond this NHC track that we see, we don't want to speculate too much about whether or not this is going to be a coastal hit or not. It just means that we don't want to get too far past this. Model runs get very erroneous after three to five days out. It's too much to say that we're going to be looking at a coastal hit. Uh, sea surface temperatures, once again, we see where Florence is right about here, moving towards the warmer water. We'll look at the European model run from today. There's going to be another one tonight. We're watching these very closely. This is just one deterministic run, so we can't take this at face value. Uh, we see Florence moving towards the Bahamas with the, the blue circle right here. This is the uh, 500 millibar plot, and this is what we're going to be looking at a lot because as it gets towards Bermuda, and those folks in Bermuda really need to be watching this, this red right here represents a ridge, and this is clockwise motion around the ridge. Uh, we tend to get... Uh, a little bit more of a westerly steer with systems that are underneath ridges because the general steering flow is in that direction. The big question is, this lat the latitude of the storm, will it be able to get picked up by this trough here in the Atlantic or not? It looks like a lot of the models are keeping it a little bit south of that, but we do see that trough pinching off to an upper low in time. And if the ridge breaks down, it may be enough to pull it away from the coastline. The GFS, I'm sorry, the Euro solution to this has the ridge holding a little bit stronger but that's not to be concerned because these models have been flip-flopping back and forth on the coast or off the coast, swinging out to sea. Majority of the uh, ensembles right now are sort of pulling it out to sea, but we're just not entirely sure of that yet. If we look at the GFS, we see it coming in. This is by Monday next week towards Bermuda. The ridge is there, but then the ridge breaks down, and then we see sort of a transition now. The GFS earlier really pulled this out to sea. But if it slips down over Bermuda, that might push into the coastline. It's just too early to tell. Really, when we get this far out, we shouldn't really be speculating whether or not a coastal hit. What we need to do is focus on uh, this map right here and where it's going to be on Monday. So as we get into the weekend, we will probably have a much better idea of what's going on. Here's another um, couple of examples. Let me zoom in here. This is from weathernerds.org. I uh, got this from Mike Boylan on Mike's weather page. If you haven't followed his page, give it a, give it a go. 
uh, and see the Euro Ensemble right here from today. And all these members within the model here are, are majority of them are keeping them off the coastline curving out to sea. There are some outliers. So you can see the possibilities range anywhere from South Florida all the way up towards Nova Scotia. That's the range right now. Uh, and that, that doesn't even mean that it's going to hit the United States, but we, we can't pinpoint where or if at this point, even the GFS, the GAFS ensemble, the majority of them keep them out, keep it out to sea. And that's of right now, but we're going to be watching these models run to run. There's no need to be of concern right now. I don't think we'd need to really go beyond this map right here. I think everybody should just be watching, just tune in, make sure that you're, you're checking with your local meteorologist and get the facts. Don't be looking at articles that are blowing up um, headlines like the Carolina coast will be hit or Outer Banks is going to be hit or whatever uh, news feed is coming through. There's there's a lot of um, sort of bad information out there and we don't want to. Yeah, I know Jared says fake news, but a lot of it, some of it is fake news. Absolutely. And Brad Panovich did a really good blog earlier. If you haven't uh, looked him up, look him up. He's out of Charlotte. It's great. Did a great blog. And so we don't want to buy into these articles just yet. It's too much time, too many factors to even think about a coastal hit right now. Nothing to be concerned about, but just be watching and tuning in to your local meteorologist. If you don't have a hurricane plan in place, you should always, especially in the hurricane season being at the peak, which is September the 10th. This is normal activity to see an uptick in a spike in activity towards September the 10th. And even down into October, we keep the, the hurricane possibilities wide open. Uh, I think it, make sure you have your survival kit and evacuation plan, have all that stuff in place because you never know if it's not Florence, maybe it's going to be another one in a, in a week or two. We don't know. There's a lot of systems um, that have spawned off the African coast. Next one in line, I'll go ahead and share screen one more time because I didn't talk about this one, Invest 92L. And this one has a 70% chance next 48 hours, 90% chance next five days. This one is expected to slide to the west. If we look at the five-day graphical, this is the path it's going to take, and it may take it a little bit uncomfortably close to the windward and leeward islands and even maybe towards the Bahamas. We're not sure yet. And see, even there, we're starting to talk about going too far out with the runs. We're going to stick with what the NHC has, at least for now. We have another disturbance. This may be Invest 93L, 0% uh, chance 48 hours, 40% next chance next five days. The next two storms on the list are Helene and Isaac. So uh, that that is pretty much it for the tropics. I'm going to go live on my Facebook page here in a little bit because uh, there, there may be some people in the different audience that may want to tune in and find out what the latest is. There's a lot of hype out there, so don't buy into the hype right now. It's not a good idea. Just just be aware that we're watching a system. That's what you need to know right now. All right. Thank you for that, Shay. Stephanie Rankin uh, talking about, so I don't need to stock up on my bread and milk just yet, do I? <laughs> uh, also, uh, John Mossman uh, was wanting to know about uh, what was behind Florence. And so Shay talked about that. So uh, thanks for everyone who have been tuning, who's been tuning in via Facebook and Periscope. Uh, we've appreciated your comments and questions. And uh, as uh, Florence gets closer to uh, kind of making a decision of what's going to happen, we will be following it here at the Carolina Weather Group. And who knows, we may even do our own little um, updates and stuff like that. Jennifer Lynn says she doesn't care what happens as long as Jim Cantori doesn't come to Charleston. So there you go. <laughs> well, it would be timely if he came here and got and tried to get need by another CFC student. I mean, honestly, I don't think it'd be Cantori I'd be worried about. It'd be Seidel, right? <laughs> that's that's true. on that. Seidel's yeah. always out in the middle of it. Cantori, that's no good. But but if you see Seidel, just just turn around and just leave now. <laughs> uh, drive north. 
Uh, that's that's right. That's right. Well, uh, Shay, we appreciate that. Jen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, next week, uh, it's kind of we, we kind of planned it like this. To be honest with you, we're not fortune tellers or anything, but uh, we knew the first two weeks of September is normally uh, the peak season of hurricanes, and so next week's topic is actually Mike Boland's going to be joining us from Mike's weather page. Shay's been uh, uh, talking about that page tonight, so Mike will be joining us. I'm sure we're going to be talking about Florence and. Helene and possibly Isaac and whoever knows whatever else uh, rolls off the African coast or even maybe uh, into the Gulf. So uh, we'll be talking with uh, Mike next week about hurricanes and tropics and really no set topic, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot to talk about. So uh, that's next week. And then on the uh, 19th, uh, September 19th, uh, storm anxiety. Uh, I know um, there's um, blogs and stuff that's been coming out over the past few days about uh, the hurricane hitting a certain place and people really starting to get freaked out. We're going to kind of talk about that with uh, Rick Smith, uh, who is the uh, uh, warning coordinator meteorologist at the National Weather Service in Norman, Oklahoma. He has uh, done extensive research on uh, folks and, and kind of their anxiety against storms. So Rick will be on uh, talking about that September 19th. And then September 26th, we're going to be talking with Christina Voss from the University of North Carolina. We're going to be talking about the uh, North Carolina King Tide Project. Uh, as well. So that's what the uh, the next three or four shows looks like here for the Carolina Weather Group. As always, if you have any guests or potential topics that you would like us to talk about, feel free to reach out to us. I know we are down to maybe two or three shows that have not been booked for the rest of the year. So uh, we're almost booked up for the uh, 2018 season and we're going to be uh, quickly booking 2019 here in the uh, next uh, few weeks. So if you have any topics or guests you'd like us to to bring on, please let us know and we'll reach out to them and get them on the schedule. So with that, if there's nothing else from the panelists, I'll go ahead and close the show off. Uh, we appreciate you watching tonight on the Carolina Weather Group. Like Shay said, stay tuned to um, the National Hurricane Center and those meteorologists that you trust. They'll continue to update. We'll also continue to update throughout the week and weekend about Florence and uh, we will reconvene here next Wednesday night. And I'm about sure by then, we'll have a really good idea of what Florence is going to be doing. So we hope you have a great weekend. Uh, stay safe out there. Enjoy it. And we'll see you back here next Wednesday night on the Carolina Weather Group.